Good morning, Minecrafters, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 13, I Lonely. My name is Dr. Kimberly Quinn, and I can't tell you how excited I am to be talking with all of you uh, this morning or the afternoon, depending on where you are, about the topic of loneliness. And I also have to say, I keep forgetting to introduce myself in the beginning of these episodes. And though as crazy as this may sound, it feels like you're all in my living room. And we've all been together now for about a year with my worldly audience, and it just feels so comfortable. So that said, we're going to jump into, you know, kind of a difficult topic, I guess, because so many people, there are what, roughly 7.5 billion people in this wonderful world of ours. And it's quite a sad reality how many of us are walking around lonely. And I don't mean, you know, at times, we've, we've all as human beings have experienced even the most, you know, the happiest of us who have nice big families, all this, you know, and nice big families and friends and stuff. We have all, we all know what it feels like, you know, and I've experienced it at one time or another. The real concern, however, the real concern and danger is chronic loneliness. So that's what we're going to talk about today and also some ways to, to kind of climb out of this. Um, even though there's obviously no quick fix for loneliness, we can certainly uh, give you a start um, on climbing, climbing out of this, this empty, empty feeling. So we'll start by, you know, discussing what loneliness is, because it is obviously so subjective, which is why, you know, people research, you know, it, it isn't, it isn't easy. It's kind of like researching happiness or something. It's abstract in a sense. And my happiness won't be the same as your happiness. My loneliness won't be the same as your loneliness. So it puts a difficult spin on researching. It's a different experience for everyone. However, we will get to, um, there are a couple of common denominators with, with loneliness, and we will get to those in, in just a little bit. So we'll get to the you know common denominators or dimensions of loneliness in a bit, but for right now, I really want to talk about you know what a, that this is the loneliness thing, the epidemic, loneliness epidemic. Let's call it what it is, right? With uh, 7.5 billion people in the world, it, it's just it's amazing that so many of us are walking around lonely. And um, I was I just actually wrote a, an article for Psychology Today on this. And I've, I landed on an article by Markham Hyde. It actually came from Time Magazine Special Edition on mental health. And wow, he just has so many good things to say in there about, again, we're talking about chronic loneliness, not a moment here and there, which we all have, that it's actually this loneliness epidemic or loneliness has been um, sort of equated or put right up there with smoking and obesity as far as risk of death. Just imagine that. And in uh, Markham Hyatt's article for Time, he, he talks about right out of the gate, he talks about this recent Ipsos survey of more than 20,000 American adults took this survey. And nearly half of it, half of them reported feeling lonely either always or sometimes. Just imagine that. And then, and then he says, meanwhile, there's another one in four. This is a very sobering statistic. Let's listen up to this thing. Meanwhile, one in four say they rarely or never feel as though they have close friends or family members who truly understand them. Wow. I mean, for me, that's that seems like a real wake-up call. And to have more than 20,000 is, is a decent sample size, right? I know I've done research myself. I know what that's like. That's a big, big sample size. 
you know, and, and very legit and over half was so, so cut that in half, right? It's almost 10,000. That's a, a slice of Americans and that, you know, reporting being lonely so often, you know, always or sometimes is a lot and almost 50% is a lot. So if that, you know, 20,000 is a good slice across the boards, that is a lot of people walking around, not feeling like, uh, like they've got, you know, people they can trust and count on and people to be with and a sense of belonging. That's just horrible, you know, and it's important to know it. Obviously it's not just Americans dealing with this issue of a loneliness epidemic. This is worldwide and we only have so much, you know, time here, obviously. Um, though I'll mention that in, in Markham Hyde's article in time, it, he also brought up, um, that back in 2018, this is very interesting. Back in 2018, Prime Minister Theresa May uh, appointed the first ever um, minister for loneliness in the UK because the feelings of isolation were so so widespread and huge. I mean, think about that, appointing a minister for loneliness in the UK. And so if we take a slice of America, a slice of the UK, um, I think it's it's fair to say that this is a is a global thing, which right. So in, in a sense, we just went from loneliness epidemic to another you know pandemic in a sense. And you know, here we go. Speaking of pandemics, we all thought the Rona would be over by now, right? We when the world closed in March, we we start out sprinting because I think we I don't know if we were ever thinking about there was going to be end to it, but in that moment. We were all in survival mode, right? Just scrambling around and pivoting and doing everything we had to do to survive, sprinting. So we're using up all of our juice thinking it's going to be a short race. Now, basically, we've realized that this is not a 100-yard dash and it's a marathon. You know, it's like some joker moved the, moved the finish line back. So now we're still in this pandemic. And then we've got the loneliness epidemic, which is really a pandemic. And we bring it, you know, worldwide because that's what pandemic means, right? So we've got the Rona still happening. And over here in the U.S. right now, it's exploding, actually. We're at our worst with it at this minute. And then we've got loneliness and the holidays. You know, the holidays for lots and lots of people aren't happy, you know, if we had the holidays in right now, currently today's December 7th, so the holidays are, the pre-holiday stuff is in full swing in the U.S., sort of, right, as far as we can be with the, the Rona, <clears throat> you know, going on, and people are buying online instead of going to stores and all that, but the thing is, and the holiday hype will obviously depend on, on what holiday you celebrate, if any, and over here, you know, there's a lot of hype around around Christmas, and I don't mean just the commercialism, but also, um, you know, family cohesiveness and warmth and emotional security are all marketed in a sense, right? I mean, it seems like everywhere you look, pictures and magazines and on the internet and all this togetherness and this illusion that this is the truth for most people. And it is for many people. Thankfully, that's great. And obviously, it isn't for everyone. And, you know, I think it's, at least for me, it's very, very important to uh, remember and be aware of the enormous or let's say the magnitude of loneliness that's going on and walking around right, right next to us all over the place. In fact, uh, our oldest daughter is currently working with homeless people um, locally, and she comes home with stories every single night. Um, some absolutely heartbreaking, just heartbreaking, and some wonderfully uh, 
I guess rewarding would be the word to say for her because she's, you know, she and her and her coworkers are making such a huge difference out there. And there's just um, so much, there's a lot of brokenness out there that I think many of us, for, for many of us, that population of people is invisible, sadly. And um, her stories are just um, sobering and real. And there's also a lot of people doing a lot of good things out there. Um, and of course, it's also important to, you know, be aware that loneliness does not discriminate, you know, kind of like addiction or anything else. So it, touch, it touches each each socioeconomic strata or class. I don't like these words at all. You know, I'm just trying to, you know, make the point that it touches all of us, regardless of, you know, where you come from and your, your family's, you know, socioeconomic situation, all that. Addiction touches everybody. It doesn't care what color your skin is, what religion you practice, if any, what your gender is, what your sexuality is. It doesn't care. Addiction doesn't care. And neither does loneliness. It does not care. Somebody could be in the, you know, top 10 wealthiest people in the world and be one of the loneliest, loneliest people in the world. And here's the reason, or one of the reasons why uh, loneliness touches so many of us, you know, regardless of demographics and, you know, financial standing. And it's because um, loneliness has really, as I see it, two big common denominators. And I will share with you that there's a fantastic podcast out there by uh, with uh, Brene Brown, who I love. She's fantastic. If you haven't heard her, you should start right now. And she's interviewing Dr. Vivit Murthy, who was a former Surgeon General in the United States. And they're talking about loneliness and um, its different dimensions. And it's just, it's absolutely fabulous. And Dr. Vivit also wrote the book called Together, um, which is another good one. And, you know, what's very cool about the, the podcast, I listened to it a couple times, is they get, you know, they talk about the, really the source of loneliness. So there's why it can touch somebody literally on the streets without a family and touch somebody who's a high roller, you know, in Wall Street and trading or whomever, is because the source of it has to do with connection. And it has to do with a dissonance between the connection we need and the connection we actually have. And uh, Brene and Dr. Vivit talk about the three, you know, sort of dimensions to loneliness. And I tell you, when I listened to this, it was really, wow, just like, you know, my light bulb, aha, you know, moment happened. Um, because they talk about the first one and how we need all three. That's important. We need all three of these to, you know, sport, sort of experience that, that, that fully connected feeling that kind of feeds our spirit. So the first one is intimate, and this can be a partner, though it doesn't have to be. And I, would, I was thrilled to know that um, what he meant by that was somebody who we can trust no matter what, we can trust no matter what, and that we can confide in. Because obviously not, an, not, everyone, not everyone has a partner, and not everyone wants a partner. So this intimacy is a partner or or and or can also be just that, you know, very closest, best of friends or a sibling or, or a parent or somebody who we just know that we can count on no matter what. You know, and this also feeds into that very well-known, um, very famous Harvard study. There was a longitudinal study that went on in the very, started the very early part of the 20th century and is still going on, actually. The researchers just keep passing the torch. And what that, the Harvard study well, found out a lot of things, but the key main theme is that 
what the number one for longevity of life, right? Longevity of life and the highest quality of life is our relationships without question, hands down. And, you know, obviously this means positive relationships and it doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, all kinds of speed bumps along the way. Of course, it just means not toxic relationships. It can be a long-term marriage. It can be, you know, children and parents and cousins and friends and all this and all this. The main, main, main theme with the Harvard study was just what Dr. Vivid said was that no matter what, having it, that one person, if, and if you're fortunate enough to have more, that's fabulous. That one person, you know, would drop anything for you that you can count on. So even if you're not speaking over some petty thing and, you know, you call them in the middle of the night, they just immediately get over whatever that was and stop and hone in on what what's going on with you. That num- That is the number one for optimal human functioning and longevity right there. Having somebody we can trust and count on and confide in. The next one, um, Dr. Vivid talks about being relational and these are our friendships, people we hang out with, you know, uh, have lunch with. It can be a lot of small talk, but it camaraderie, they can maybe uh, provide some levity for us, people we just have fun with. And this relational component is also just so important. It might be a sports team, it might even be work, whatever. Um, but that these friendships and these just kind of hang out, have lunch kind of relationships are also so important for that feeling of connection that we all uh, very desperately need. And then lastly, the third component or type of connection is, uh, he refers to as collective. And this means our need for community. And so this is this is obviously very primal, right? This goes right back to our need, you know, if we go way, way, way back, our need for, you know, immediate survival. And that isn't different now, really. Emotionally speaking, we need each other. And so this sense of belonging is huge and belonging to something bigger than us, whether that's a family you you live in a small town, you live in a city, but you have your own community within the city. We all need that. And uh, Dr. Dr. Vivid's point was that we need all three of these components to feel, you know, kind of fully there as far as connection. And, um, you know, that the three of these together really fuel and feed our spirit. And he goes on to say this, uh, which made a lot of sense to me. Why sometimes people are perplexed. Maybe they're in a really great marriage. You know, they're crazy in love. They have this great marriage. And they can still have moments of feeling lonely and then not get it. Like, I'm in a great marriage. Why would I have moments of feeling lonely? And it might be because one or both of the other two components are missing. It might be that there aren't a lot of friendships or, you know, work relationships and you know, just the hangout time that we all need, going on walks or just getting a latte somewhere, that may be missing. So the, you know, the marriage at home is great, but you also need, you know, just that person to do small talk with and go to lunch. And then, or it might be a situation of even having the friendships and the marriage, but maybe this person's moved around a lot and hasn't really, doesn't have any sense of belonging to some, to a group bigger than, than our, you know, than ourselves. Um, maybe just, you know, has that, that really that longing for sense of belonging to a community. So again, ideally we have all three of these and obviously life is life and life and life is light and things go in waves. So we might kind of be all there some of the time and then maybe some of the, you know, relational peace drops off or whatever. But ideally speaking, we need the intimacy, the relational peace, as well as the collective component or the sense of belonging to a community. 
And it is the sense of connection that sort of fights off these feelings of not being enough, maybe not being lovable. And this was at the, this was the source of loneliness, right? Is, is, um, is, is these, you know, these feelings of, you know, there's a reason why I don't have people in my life, right? It must be me. I'm not feeling enough. I'm not feeling lovable. I'm not feeling valuable. And this brings us to our next part of the discussion. And so the next big part of the, of the discussion, which is, you know, um, the other, the other, the other part of the loneliness feeling and the source of it is when we are, we are seeming, seemingly unable to see and embrace our own value or our own self-worth. And this is huge. And, you know, when we are um, seemingly unable, because of course we are able, that's why I'm saying seemingly um, unable to understand our worth, to see our value, embrace our value, and to believe, to genuinely believe in ourselves. The rest of this is quite a, a challenge. And this one I can speak about, you know, firsthand. You know, and this kind of brings about kind of the, the, the chicken and the egg situation, like which came first and it's like a cycle, right? So, you know, there's so many people out there. If you, you know, look this up on Google, it'll explode, right? But with all the self-help stuff, because it's only when we can truly, you know, love and like and accept ourselves that we are, you know, have the capability to love and accept others, right? We kind of know that to be true. Yet it's a chicken and the egg situation because we also need, as human beings, we need our own value and worth mirrored for us. So obviously when that wasn't there for many of us as young children, we have to kind of put this back as adults and we have to actively work at this as there are certainly many of us who have come from, you know, or had childhoods where, uh, you know, it was very dysfunctional, turbulent. Maybe we got some love, but not as much as we needed. There may have been abuse there. There may have been trauma there. And so like the mirroring of our own value maybe didn't happen or it did, but it was inconsistent. And, and the, and the thing is, that um, and the positive note, you know, I'm all about the positivity is if this is kind of you're having this experience right now, give yourself a nice big pat on the back if you're becoming aware of it and having an aha moment, because that right there is 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 key. We can't do what we don't know. And once we have the awareness, as my good friend Dave Lander says, we have the responsibility. So once we have the awareness of this source, maybe why we're feeling lonely, why we're feeling this emptiness, and kind of getting it, that it's this underneath you know, dynamic going on of not realizing our own self-worth and our value, well, right now you're off to the races then. And you know, the only other alternative really here is to stay in this mode of you know, um, having low self-worth. And when we do that, we are seeking approval outside of ourselves, you know, externally all over the place in relationships and, you know, work and just all over the place. And that it's exhausting. And, and the thing is, you know, we need to bring that stuff back in the living room and realize that it's, oh, it only matters that we value ourselves. The rest will just take care of itself. Um, because otherwise, you know, we're out there again, external approval seeking, and we're not being ourselves. To really truthfully just be yourself takes zero effort. So if it's taking effort to be yourself, you're not being yourself. Okay, so we have the first sort of step toward climbing out of loneliness. And please hear me with my disclaimer. This is a this is a big one. Loneliness is huge. We just talked about being an epidemic, which worldwide makes it a pandemic, right? So realizing this is huge and 
don't I wish somebody could wave a wand and have us all feeling enough because, which really would erase, would eradicate shame. And if that happened, there would be very few, if any, problems across the world because shame is a source of, of all the bad stuff, really, for the most part, right? Um, from bullying to violence to all, all the different types of abuse, um, it's just, it's the source of it, right? The broken people often try to break other people. So we know that if I could wave a wand to eradicate the shame, trust me, I, that's the first thing I would do. And in a New York second, but since that isn't going to happen, as they say, the only way out is through, we have to do the work. And so after awareness, right? Awareness is number one. We can't do what we don't know. Once we kind of get that we're feeling lonely and know the reason, the second one is to realize our own value. So this is what we're talking about. And this is the biggie. And this is the one we're going to talk about working on. So once again, this is huge, though. Here's a here's one sort of baby step in the right direction. When you wake up in the morning, first thing is as hard as this may be, especially for those who've been conditioned to be comfortable with um, with negative and self-deprecating, and that this may be a little tough. So you have to kind of force yourself in the beginning. And after roughly 21 days, things for the most part, become a habit. That's the average amount of time. So when you first thing when you wake up in the morning, head straight to the mirror, can even be a small mirror, whatever, look yourself right in the eyes and tell yourself one thing positive that you like about yourself. And the next one I had my PT article is euthanize your cell phone. And though it may we may not be able to completely kind of put it out of its misery or put us out of our misery is really more what it's like. What we can do is find more of a balance with the screen time. And it take with the cell phone thing for many people, it takes, you know, make sure it's completely off. Just, you know, having it almost off when it's in your pocket where it shouldn't be because of radiation anyway. And if it's able to buzz or ding or beep or have ringtones, even if you choose not to answer it, it's still taking your attention away temporarily from the present moment, which then has your mind going, who is that? What if it's this? Who, what if it's her? What if it's him? What if it's them? And work? And maybe it's the person I like. And blah, 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 blah. It rips us out of the present moment and also lands us in a place of the what if thinking and, and all that. So it has to be completely shut off. And if, if you're one of those where, you know, it's like your electronic, you know, crack or something, you make sure it's completely off and set yourself a, a time that's realistic for you. And if that means if you're going to start out real small, like 20 minutes or a half an hour, give yourself a pat on the back, make sure it's off. If you need to hide it from yourself, that's even better. Like lock it in your glove compartment or put it in your sock drawer or something. And then hopefully increase this per week. What really works best is to keep the time the same for about a week. So if that's only 20 minutes for you, um, do that every day for seven days and then bump it up to 30 minutes. If you can take the big leap to an hour, that'd be even better. The fourth step is to seek out real connections. And that might sound all, also very hard for some people who have really got become conditioned, you know, which is just a fancy way to say habit, right? It's become a habit to think they're getting connections through the screen. So um, I hate to disappoint the gamers out there. And I'm, I'm doing a disclaimer. Not It doesn't mean that everybody who games, you know, gets wrapped up in things. However, a lot of these games where they have their online friends, though that is a form of connection, a form of connection, 
um, it's not the real thing and it's not what we crave as people. It's something, but it, it's overall long-term, just not going to do it. We need the real connection. So if that's something super small, um, you know, especially this time of year, it, it's really not tough to find, find things to do with, with people. Um, even if it's 15 minutes or going for a walk or something where you're actually with, you know, somebody and having, you know, face-to-face interaction, got to do it. We need it. We're wired for it. No matter where you are land on the introverted, extroverted scale, um, somebody might need a smaller dose of it. We still all need this as human beings. Like we breathe oxygen, we need it. Number five is write a letter. I mean, like an old school, old fashioned handwritten letter with a stamp and mail it snail mail. I, you know, I think in our society, we've, we've gotten so used to emailing back and forth and it's just not the same. Like if we go back, you know, in, in history, I'm thinking of in the U S president, um, Harry Truman, my husband's a huge Harry HST fan. You know, when, when he was writing letters back and forth to Bess from the white house, cause she didn't want to be there, all these love letters back and forth, you know, this, what you can, you know, you can see someone's personality when they write something handwritten, you know, it just feels like they're almost next to you on the couch or something. So Harry wrote these, you know, love letters back and forth and best, best returning them. Would these have been the same if, you know, in history and history books of it, you know, Harry Truman's emails to Beth, Bess, sorry, Bess. No, a handwritten letter, a good old fashioned Christmas card or Hanukkah card or um, whatever holiday card or just a nice, nice note. Um, if you don't have anyone you feel comfortable doing that with, and I'm telling you, if you do have somebody you think would be, would, would like it, just do it because it's just, it's such an, a wonderful personal outreach. If you don't have that person, especially this time of year, um, reach out and send a letter to our troops. There's all kinds of programs for that or different countries or all kinds of programs for, um, for writing to people like kind of like the old fashioned pen pal and what a lift, what a lift it will give someone, which means in turn, it will give you a lift. You know, and next we have pay it forward. And I will tell you that this is actually my license plate. So any of you in the States who are tooling around Vermont, you might see me rolling through in my sexy red Jeep with my pay it forward license plates. And I can't tell you how many people have commented on, on these plates, which is very cool. I mean, who notices license plates all the time? I guess you do sometimes if you're behind somebody, but lots of people say something. Um, here's the thing. The pay it forward idea is just such a cool one. You know, these, when we practice conscious acts of kindness, it makes a difference for someone else. And for those of us struggling with our own value and our own self-worth and feeling invisible and not enough and all these, you know, uh, feelings that stem from, from not feeling valuable and from being, and from feeling lonely, this is like the number one thing to do. And with this, this time of year, no matter where you live in this globe, there are all kinds of opportunities for do-gooding and practicing conscious acts of kindness. Random acts of kindness are good too. Conscious acts of kindness means you're doing it on purpose and with intention. For me, I mean, kindness is good no matter how you, how you talk about it, but to have the intention of actually seeking out to do something kind for somebody, to me, is at another level. It's just better. You know, and those, you know, struggling with iso- feelings of isolation and feeling depressed. Gandhi talked about this. Like when we get all, I'm paraphrasing here, nothing's in front of me. I'm just talking about my, my you know, sort of general knowledge of him. Is that, you know, if we're feeling blue 
um, you know, feeling, you know, we're all caught up in our head, our own, whatever's going wrong in our lives. And we can, you know, sort of jump out of our own head enough to help someone else. It can be as small as carrying groceries, heavy groceries for somebody who's elderly or pregnant or just struggling for whatever reason. It's icy. Who knows? It doesn't have to be huge, right? When we do this, it, it, there's also, in addition to doing something nice for somebody, there's also a dopamine fix. And maybe it's, you know, the universe's way of, you know, making sure we continue to do good things for each other because by helping someone else, we feel good. And, you know, the other thing I have to interject into here is I'm not a big fan of waiting, which is partially, you know, my, my ADHD wiring. It's partially just my spirit. You know, it's because waiting to forgive somebody, waiting to write a letter, waiting to pay it forward and do something kind, you know, because we're, we're sort of locked into this comfort zone. We, we've been working virtually. I don't want to leave the house. It's very hard to get out of the house. And I'm, I'm not saying that with judgment. I'm just saying it with this is the reality is if, you know, you're kind of waiting for the clouds to part to write that letter, you know, go down to the post office and get a stamp to pay it forward and do something, even the smallest thing to wait to forgive somebody. Like there's going to be this, you know, wand waving situation from the clouds isn't going to happen. It isn't going to happen. And so we just have to decide, make a conscious choice and kind of like, if you want to, you know, um, go running and you're just starting that up, it can be hard to get off the couch and out the door. And it takes that push. It takes pushing ourselves out of our comfy zone to, to get into a place where this could become a habit. And it, it takes it takes effort. It takes grit, for lack of a better word. And finally, number seven, which is the last one, is practice gratitude every day. You know, in different episodes, we've talked about the gratitude journal, which is the best thing because writing, writing things down, especially, you know, I have people doing groups of three, I am grateful for, and those words are important to repeat these over and over. This is how we have actual brain changes, neurologically speaking. So we talked about the gratitude journal, okay? And for today, though, we can even say, again, the writing's better, but if you at least, you know, when you make that trip to the mirror, in the morning, right after you wake up, you look yourself in the eyes and you don't, you just say, you know what, what I like about you is, and some really positive affirmation privately with yourself about something you value in yourself, immediately following that, even start out small. One thing, after you have your positive affirmation with yourself, say, and I am grateful for, you know, my health, my eyesight, um, the quiet morning, you know, here with the Rona going on that I can breathe, right? Um, the snowy day or the hot day or the whatever, and just say it. And if this be, can, can become a morning ritual for you, you'll be off and running because between the positive affirmation and the uh, one I am grateful for would literally, without exaggeration, take you less than 30 seconds, less than 30 seconds. So this is a good one to start right now, today, do it every day and forever. So just a quick recap here, the very source, the guts of loneliness and therefore the loneliness epidemic or pandemic is connection or actually what we're really talking about is disconnection, right? With ourselves and other people, which needs to start with ourselves. And so again, um, this is big, it's huge. And the good thing is there's hope, and this is the season for hope, and not that hope needs a season, though it's I guess it's more apparent during the holidays. There's all kinds of all kinds of good going on out there amongst the sadness and loneliness. So we can make a conscious choice to choose to kind of land with 
the goodness and the hope and the prosperity and all of the paying it forward and all this good things people are doing out there. So um, those seven steps, I hope that you've, uh, those are really resonated with you because even though there is no quick fix for loneliness, we know that these are seven solid steps to begin to, to move forward and towards, toward climbing out of this place of loneliness. And on that note, um, since we have, we, there's so many countries listening now, it's just fantastic. Last I checked, there were at least 49. So what I'm going to do is go back to just thanking all of you at once, because it's just so amazing. Uh, it's just so amazing to have Minecrafters listening from all over the globe, just from all over the globe. So with my deepest gratitude, thank you for listening and joining, joining us for this podcast, podcast episode. This is Kimberly Quinn signing off from Northern Vermont. Have a mindful day. Mm-hmm.